Hello, and welcome to another edition of My Backstage Pass. This is your host, Lee Zimmerman, with my producer and co-host, Billy Hubbard. And today, we're really excited to have a very, very special artist with us, Chuck McDermott, a great singer-songwriter with a notable history who also played many years with the great John Stewart, who had an earlier band called Wheat Straw, who knew a lot of very famous and important people. Right, Chuck? I mean, I'm looking at the notes you gave me here, and you have a storied history, my friend. Story. Yeah, it's a sad, sad story. No, it's a happy story. <laughs> Look what we have you here today. It's new record and everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's been a fun ride. So let's start off talking about the new album, actually an EP, which is called 38 Degrees and Raining. And I guess this is your first record in what, like four years or something? Yes, yes. But before that, you know, I did a record in 2017 called Gin and Rosewater. And before that, my prior record was 34 years earlier. You're very (laughs) prodigious, Chuck McDermott, very prodigious. (laughs) I really compressed the timeline there. But uh, yeah, so the... That we started this record at the beginning of in January of 2020, mm-hmm. and went in the studio and cut like nine tracks, you know, basic tracks, all live, you know, bass, drums, couple guitars, acoustic guitar, my vocal, etc. And then, you know, by end of February, March, the lockdown was upon us, and we had to kind of go to Plan B. And um, what originally, in my mind, was going to be a full-length CD uh, with a different title song altogether, in fact, um, be, sort of began to take a life of its own, working with the some of the songs that were near completion that we could finish up by virtually sharing tracks, as everyone has been doing, um, you know, through this time period. And stuff, and uh, and I wrote a new one or two, and uh, during that period of time, and it finally came together, and and I would, I was very comfortable with the idea of it being an EP, um, as opposed to like Gin and Rosewater was fourteen songs, right, and uh, uh, and I, and again I had a lot of backlog going into that. <laughs> And, and, and also I just said, well, hell, we recorded them all. Let's just put them out. Um, but on this one, we have several in the can that only partially completed that we can turn to next. And I felt to me, the, the, the record when done really kind of felt like 2020, which was a very, very tough year. Um, and I don't say that to press anybody, but just, uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm an old folky at heart and a big part of what attracts me to music is having it be a bit of a story about what's going on and, you know, around us at the time. So mm-hmm. I, I, I for, you know, I'm the least objective person in the world to, to, to judge whether or not we were successful in that. You were but successful, it, it, Chuck McDermott. I can tell you that here's the outsider opinion. It's a wonderful record. And, 
I, I think what you're referring to before about telling stories is very evident here because these songs really seem like they were inspired. Like it wasn't just, oh, there's, you know, a mountain and a river. But these songs seem to really have come from your heart and your soul. Um, there, there's one song in particular here, I think, that sort of sums everything up, which is the last song on the EP, which is called Here's the Thing About America. And uh, let's let's play a couple of, uh, a little taste of that, Billy. Yeah. As if all those cries were heard, as if color lines were blurred, just don't sit next to me. The working man can understand why his world don't feel free. Not one shred of dignity. It's such a beautiful song. Well, thank you. And uh, well, let's let's talk a bit about it because when you have a title like "Here's the Thing About America." That can be <laughs> pretty broad. What what is that thing about America, or is it that things about America? What are we uh, encapsulating here? Well, a, a friend of mine dubbed this as um, a, 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 a lover's quarrel with one's dearly beloved, <laughs> and <laughs> meaning, which I thought captured it in kind of a neat way, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I, I love this country. And as Lee, as you know, you know, I've worked in government on various detours I've taken and stuff like that. And uh, government public service is a big part of my family history, my father's career and things like this. And I, I feel from, you know, my vantage point that we, we're in a we're in a tough period in this country where, uh, uh, you know, for, from whatever angle you look at it, most people feel that we're not, you know, at our best behavior with each other. And um, so, you know, that the song, it, it wrote itself incredibly quickly. I mean, I was, as I want to do just kind of walking around in my music room, banging on a guitar and kind of got the very simple chord progression. And then that first line just popped in my head. Here's the thing about America. And, uh, okay. And what you just is what you says, now what Chuck, <laughs> you know, and then when she's as dirty as she's clean, she's as gentle as she's mean. She's everything between sheer hell and fantasy. I think you're describing my first wife, Chuck. How did you know that? How did you know that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, and then, and I, I'm trying to, especially on the course, I mean, I'm really, I, I truly empathize with the big part of the country. Um, both, you know, it's kind of both sides of the political divide who feel what's going on, man. I mean, I'm, I'm playing by all the rules, you know, but, you know, I I barely have 400 bucks in the bank and my parents are getting old and sick and my kids, you know, need to go off to school. And, and uh, you know, I just lost my health care and, you know, damn, man, it wasn't supposed to be this hard. And uh, so it's just 
at the end, it's it. it I, I'm I'm reaching for the positive, which is the way I'm wired, and just say, you know, let's just let's come together. Let's come to the middle, and let's let's agree on a plan and let's do it. Well, you and that's people, the thing about America. Well, you of all people know that because, uh, as you just said, you did serve in government, but you also campaigned for um, RFK, did you not? Uh, well, yeah. I, I was I was a teenager okay. um, when he he ran for president, but I was fifty-seven. I, I don't want to give away my age, uh, but oh, that's a joke. You, you were you were you were a tween yourself, but uh, but you know, uh, through just through serendipity, my my I'm originally from Iowa, and my family moved to Washington D.C. when I was ten uh, because my dad took a job in the Kennedy administration and just through ending up at the same, you know, uh, Catholic school in, in suburban Washington, I became buddies with Joe Kennedy, who was the oldest son of Robert Kennedy. Right, right. And we grew up together. So cool. I feel very privileged to have known Robert Kennedy as a man and um, a father of 10 children at the time. Um, but, uh, and just an, an amazing, amazing person. And then, uh, Quite frankly, you know, after 1968, when when and 63, but when Robert Kennedy was assassinated, that was a huge tragedy for the nation and the world. But you know, kind of personally, I felt that too. And and Martin Luther King and the country's burning, and and I kind of thought at that point, but before those cataclysmic events, that I'd go to college and then maybe, you know, try to work for a senator for a while or something like that. Because that was the environment we were around in Washington, D.C. It's an industry town. But, you know, after uh, after those two men died and now you're into the height of the Vietnam War and then Watergate. I mean, honestly, by 1971, Crosby, Stills and Nash made a hell of a lot more sense to me than Richard Nixon. (laughs) (laughs) I, I wanted nothing to do with politics and uh i dropped out of college and formed a band and and uh you know that's that that got me off and going was that band that you just mentioned is that wheat straw that you're referring yes yeah yeah which was uh for those of you unaware just a terrific uh country rock band and and really if you look at today's americana scene you guys were kind of in the forefront in your own way, were you not? Well, yeah, yeah, and that we all came from, you know, high school bands where we're doing the Beatles, the Kinks, the the Doors, you know, whatever. Uh, I I cut my teeth at the beginning on Kingston Trio and the Weavers and stuff like that before the Beatles hit. But then, um, so we had all those influences. In D.C. was you know, a big Motown and rhythm and blues town. I mean, I saw live during high school, Wilson Pickett, James Brown, the Supremes, Four Tops, you know, all that. Um, In addition to Love and Spoonful, Left Bank, (laughs) um, you know, fill in the blank. Saw the Beatles. Wow. Um, uh, Wow. But uh, at Suffolk Downs Racetrack in, in Boston. But, um, but so, so we started the band off and, and we were, we were really the core of us were three singers and I kind of had the middle range and there was a guy who sang below me and a guy who could sing above me. And, and 
so like seriously the crosby stills and nash thing just knocked us out of our saddles and um so we could dust that stuff off as part of the repertoire and you know let's say Loggins and messina or something and and then buffalo springfield of course and poco and right. the birds yep. and 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 at this time after a couple of years of that i really wanted to just learn an idiom inside out and you know again i'm i'm, I'm from dubuque iowa my grandfather was a farmer all his ancestors were farmers going back to ireland country music was on the radio when I was growing up. I mean, so was Pat Boone and, you know, Bill Haley and Elvis and stuff. But um, those, those things were in the air for me. And really Graham Parsons was my gateway drug mm-hmm. into hardcore country. Yeah. And, um, and I, again, I, I really wanted the band to focus on something. There were a lot of great blues bands in Boston at the time. And I was convincing nobody I was a blues man. But uh, including, <laughs> including importantly myself, oh, boy. <laughs> as yeah. much as I dug it, you know, and it's, as Billy knows, it's fun to play the blues on guitar. But, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a great fit. But uh, uh, but a true story, the band all lived together at this point. We had no money, you know. But one of the things we did periodically is we'd make a run to a big record store in Boston. We lived on the outskirts of Boston. And uh, we'd walk out with maybe 20 LPs. Wow. And well, you did have be... some money. That was uh, <laughs> a bit of an investment, wasn't it? Well, they were five bucks a piece. But yeah. Okay. I mean, All right. But there, right. how else are you going to learn anything? Well, there that's was no true. Napster, no, you know, nothing. And, uh, and it might be, you know, Johnny Otis show live at Monterey Pop. And I mean, it'd be all over the place. But I started throwing in Hank Williams' greatest hits, Merle Haggard's greatest hits. Um, um, uh, again, I heard about Bob Wills and the Texas Playboys and the Leuven brothers. And, and as this was beginning one day, uh, several of us went to a, a matinee movie to, to see the flick five easy pieces. Oh yeah. Which had a great, great soundtrack in it. One of which was Tammy Wynette singing stand by your man. And yeah. Got reprised yeah. several times. And it just like, my mixture must've been just right, but it just pinned me to my seat you know her laser beam uh, voice yep. so yeah you know the next time the we got way. tammy you know <laughs> when that greatest hits album and so you know i stacked as you could several lps on the spindle and let them drop on top of each other but you know hank williams tammy Wynette, you know mid 60s merle haggard and i just said okay this is it i'm not i know what i'm doing I don't know what any of the rest of you guys are going to do, but right. this is what I'm going to do. Can and, I, can uh, I uh, toss in a quick impression? Uh, just a little nostalgia here for you, Chuck. Yes, the sir. great uh, uh, um, Jack Nicholson. A line from that <laughs> film that went something like, put it between your knees and press. <laughs> We've been wanting to use that button for oh, a long time. Oh, we have been wanting to use that. Oh, button. sorry. Look at that. It's trying about, to go again. Sorry. That was so good. Sorry. To sorry. A little bit of <laughs> levity here. I'm sorry. How about the Venusians have been contacting people in all walks of life? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Around the that line too. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, but uh, so. We started to, you know, we I started to just introduce, you know, some of these tunes into our 
set list. And then there was, li- there was literally a little country joint about a half mile from where I, I, I now was living outside of Boston. And they had, you know, these four or five beat bands that were, you know, the wheeling jamboree guys and stuff like that. And, and pompadour hairdos and, you know, snazzy uniforms and stuff. And, uh, which was just like, for me, it was like, you know, catching, you know, muddy waters or something in terms of authenticity. And um, I talked to club owner into giving us like a, a Wednesday night. To, and, and, you know, we had hair down on our shoulders. And right. I had this droopy red mustache. And, <laughs> and, and he said, he said, yeah, OK, but you got to You got to have uniforms. I think you're just well, grabbing you know. a leak. Oh, no. Yeah. Sorry. I don't have the droopy red mustache, but I have a droopy gray beard. Well, you still got that. Yeah. You okay. Yeah. Going. Yeah. All right. But, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, so we just, we figured out we could, we, we could each summon up a white shirt and a pair of black jeans or something. But we went into the, the it was called the Turtle Lounge. Turtle which is Lounge. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and the, the deal there was people, they had the, a real, a, a regular crowd came. And I think it was Wednesday through Saturday they had music. And um, and they from the first song, they'd fill the dance floor, you know, like country audiences often do. And w- we're setting up, and these folks were checking us out and thought we were Venusians contacting people <laughs> from all walks of life. And, uh, and we go into like the first song, which was, you know, probably uh, – uh, the return of the grievous angel or something like that you yeah. know from grandpa and not nothing nobody got up no there might have been a smattering of applause i mean they just stared at us so then we went into you know another couple of things and it was like this then a guy walks up and he hands me this napkin with a song title written on it i go oh we, we don't know that one but we'll get we'll, next next time we're back we'll have that one and it finally started a warm-up i think they you know were drinking their away their misery and finally decided to get up and had a pretty good time. And the guy invited us back for the next week. He said, you keep coming on Wednesday wow. nights. What, and, what was the song that was requested? Oh, it would have been like Green, Green Grass at Home or something, you know. Oh, that's, that's a lovely choice. <laughs> it yeah. is. I still cover that song sometimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a great song. I, love, I okay. still love it. <laughs> All right, it's got Billy's endorsement. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you Your know, taste so, and all the artists you've been naming, I'm sitting here like, yeah, yeah, those are. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so I ran out and got one of these, like, the, you know, country music's 20 greatest hits, you know, LPs, you know, compilation yeah. thing. So the next week we came back, we had 15 songs. Mm, we had, okay. you know, Green Green Grass at Home and Detroit City and uh, Break My Mind and, you know, various things. And we just keep adding to it. And, we had now a whole alternative repertoire of country music and the Hank stuff and all that. Um, but so we could still, still do the college gigs on the weekends, you know, and stuff, which were good paying and uh, play some of the rock clubs in Boston that we'd been playing before, but we still had this foot in the, in the country music thing. And then it started to catch on, you know, kind of Waylon and Willie, and the Austin thing, Jerry, yeah. Jeff, yeah, and um, and you know, college students in Boston. There were some from all over the country, you know. So there was a little club in Cambridge that 
started featuring a couple of us, you know, long haired guys who were playing just country. And it started to draw country music fans, college kids, though. And then when it kind of exploded, especially with Waylon Willie, the outlaw thing, there were like four or five of us bands. We were ready to go. We weren't we weren't hopping on some trains just starting to leave the station. Yeah, that's why I said you were at the forefront. You were at the forefront of all this stuff. Yeah, which was a great lesson in life, which is you can't chase a trend. You can't chase yeah. a what? You can't chase a, a trend. Oh, can't tra- You're going to be late. I, I mean, you there's something. times there's times when there's second mover advantage. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you, know? you can't chase a trend. Okay. But I think as an artist, if you're really trying to, you know, kind of plumb your own innards, you know, you just got to do what speaks to you and you know, hope for the best. You yeah. Know? You reminded me, my wife and I were just, Sarah, we were just talking this week and she was, we was talking about how, well, where are, where are, you know, all these great artists we've been talking about, you've been talking about it. She said, where are they today? Well, why is nothing happening? I said, well, you know, back then we didn't know it was special. We just knew we liked it. So sometimes right. you have to, you don't really appreciate it till you get beyond it. So hopefully, uh, you know, just, uh, should I say it's older guys. I guess that's, I'm an older guy too. We got to keep uh, it. Oh, what's up? Oh. That's very, I'm sorry. You deserve a round of applause for that. Oh, too much. Too much. We yeah. don't want to keep it going. That's okay. But that's very philosophical of you, oh, uh, yeah. Billy. So I am had to interject a little oh, bit of. You're rubbing off on me, Lacey. I'm, I'm trying to. <laughs> uh, sorry but, about that. That's okay. I can edit but, all that out, you know, but I wouldn't make sure it sounded good for me. It did sound good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it sounded good to me. Yeah. But. But the, so that the Weistraw t- train started to kind of take off. We made a first record um, very inexpensively, you know, four track, you know, recording live on a, a four track deck. And we put it out and I'd actually disbanded the band. This would have been like 1984. Uh, uh, no, 1974. And um, I took I I. I had an old van and did the old, you know, hopped in with my girlfriend and we drove around the country and stuff and came back home. And um, it got put out in this tiny little label based out of here. But it it kind of got some critical, uh, you know, uh, critics mm-hmm. paying attention to it. Uh, uh, a guy named Robert Criscow from oh, yeah. Village Voice yeah. wrote this pretty glowing review. Wow. <laughs> um and he gave me a B plus. He rated the records. That's not and, bad. Uh, B plus. Not yeah, from him. That. Not yeah, bad at all. Right. And then my my theory is that gave other music writers at the time, especially the ones back in Boston, permission to say nice things about the record. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, how we writers are. We follow the leader. Yeah, we right. You sure follow the trend. Cool. That, yeah, like you follow the trend. Very the good. Trend. You brought that back, yeah. Chuck. Thank you. <laughs> Very good. But um, so when I, when I got back to Boston, the the two guys who had kind of released the first one said, "Well, if you put the band back together, we'll do a second one." So we, I said, "Fine, great, let's do it." So we did a second one, and like that got reviewed in Rolling Stone. Wow! And, and which was a huge thing. It's still huge now, but I mean, a that was a big for sure. <laughs> yeah, deal. And no, because yeah, we were like nobodies. Um, Wow. And then that opened up a whole bunch of doors. Um, 
so now we're touring from like Montreal to New Orleans and, you know, on the East coast and, uh, played Nashville several times in a place called the old time picking parlor. And, uh, and then the other thing that was happening was the Lone Star Cafe in New York. Oh yeah. Which is now legendary, but we were one of the first bands when they threw open the doors to play there. And we were very much regulars and it was just an insane scene. It turned into the coolest place in in Manhattan to go. I mean, the cast of Saturday Night Live right. would come in after the show. Unbelievable. And Belushi and Aykroyd would wow, sit in. Wow, that is cool. You know. Uh, and that... there's, oh, there's Andy Warhol. Oh, there's Kurt Vonnegut. My <laughs> wow. God. There's Dennis Hopper. Wow. And wow. there's Johnny Paycheck right in front of the fucking stage. Dang. What a cool place to be back mind. then. <laughs> I, 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 I would be a little starstruck there if... You know. Johnny, Johnny, and June came one night. Really, sat right in first, right at the table, right at the edge of the balcony, looking down on us. And Willie Nelson, I, to, I, I, I see an Willie sat Willie. in. Willie, Willie sat in with us. Yeah, wow. He was doing Saturday Night Live, and on the Friday night before, he came in just by himself, Dang. no entourage, no nothing. And you know, <laughs> and and I said, "Isn't he?" Would you like to get up and play? He goes, sure. And he played for like an hour. Wow. And and uh, everybody's passing him shots and Lone Star beers. You know, shots and drink. Lone Star beer or something <laughs> else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that might have happened elsewhere. But, uh, okay. Okay. but uh, and then, then the next night after his show, he and his whole band came in. Jody Payne and all those guys. And Mickey Raphael. And... Uh, and the whole Saturday Night Live cast again. And mm. that night there was kind of a big jam and stuff. But so that was terribly exciting. And, and I had a manager by then who got a lot of the A&R guys, your old field, Lee, yeah, yeah. to come down. You know, they were New York based. And the place would be hopping and, you know, and they go, man, this is great. Next time you hear it, we're gonna, I'm going to get my counterpart from Nashville up. And... And they they would. So the next time, he'd have his counterpart, which was, you know, kind of a guy with a pompadour and a wide, white belt and white, you know, beetle boots on. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a great look. I, it, it I, I fashioned and, myself after that look for a and, while. You know, and here we are, you know, this triple contradiction in terms, a long-haired country band from Boston, right? right. <laughs> and it just, it never... It never really clicked with it. We just couldn't get signed. Ah, okay. uh, so I decided eventually that I was going to try something else. And and uh, that's what got me moving to California. Um, Is that where you met John? John yeah, that's where I met John. Because yeah. you spent a lot of time um, with John Stewart, made some very uh, memorable music with him and, for those of you who aren't familiar with John Stewart, you got to get on John Stewart. It's not the guy on TV, the J O N Stewart. <laughs> this is John Stewart who wrote the song uh, "Daydream Believer" for the Monkees, who had a hit of his own with the song "Gold," which Buckingham and Nicks backed him up. Just be, but beyond that, just an amazingly uh, great singer and songwriter. And, and Chuck, you witnessed all that and partaked uh, in that for a good part of his career. Did you not? Yeah, we became, um, we, we became very close collaborators. I mean, we 
toured as a duo for about five years. Wow. And, um, but it was, that was just one of the most, uh, one of the great blessings you can have in a lifetime. Uh, one, he was just a incredibly great guy and just brilliant and smart and thoughtful and, and original and unique. And he was also that, that, that archetypical true artist. I mean, John could never find his car keys, but he could write <laughs> three killer songs <laughs> in an afternoon. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's just where his head was always in that in that space, you know, and um, so that just to be around that was inspiring. And then, I mean, as a lyricist, he is really he's underappreciated, I would argue, but not by his peers. I mean, ask Lucinda Williams or Steve Earle or, you know, a lot of folks like that about John Stewart songwriting and. Roseanne Cash. I mean, she had a number one country hit with Runaway Train, yeah, which was his song. Which he wrote, and, yeah. Yeah, and they were very, very close. Um, but, uh, uh, so, and then, you know, I sat in the studio with him. You know, it, it was really just him and me and an engineer. And um, to see his creative process there. And then, we toured it at first with a full band and then he just kind of dropped him. And it was the two of us. We, we were the world's loudest folk duo. I think <laughs> there for a while. I thought Billy, I thought you, I don't know who your duet partner. I thought you took that title. The loudest what now? The, the largest folk, oh, the man. loudest, the loudest the folk duo. Loudest folk duo. It should be a Grammy category. <laughs> there should be for that. There should be. Yes. Yeah. Don't ever let the guitarist in charge of the sound system when you're young because you won't hear the vocalist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Right, exactly. But, uh, but that period was just so incredibly wonderful i mean that you know working with john and seeing that and then you know john's peer group was well lindsey buckingham was this huge kingston trio fan mm, and john was and, in kingston trio yeah yeah and and he says you know that right hand picking technique that lindsey uses no picks is he he developed that as a kid playing along with john stewart's banjo parts on kingston trio records it's kind of a frailing style picking yeah. um, these downstrokes with his fingernails and all this stuff. And, um, uh, and so when they met, Lindsay was like, you know, kind of doing the, I'm not worthy to John <laughs> and Fleetwood Mac was ginormous by, you know, you know, we're at the height of that. And that's when Lindsay agreed to produce the album that, that had the song gold on it and, and Stevie Nick sang on it with him and uh as a way to kind of pay back mm. all that he felt he'd, he'd gotten by way of inspiration from john but so they'd become in the studio you know I, one day i'm doing backup vocals and on one side of me was lindsey buckingham and the other side was linda ronstadt wow wow That's you know cool. <laughs> yeah and i was you know i just come from playing dive bars in boston this this is <laughs> so bad yeah. but uh and then, and then we on the t- when we were touring, which he did, we did a lot. Um, we it, it was a great combination with another like headline artist because we had minimal equipment requirements, <laughs> and um, 
And John still sold tickets. I mean, he was, you know, he added to the bill. Right. So we did a lot of dates with Bonnie Raitt and John Prine and Roger McGuinn and Leo Kotke. So, you know, you're hanging backstage and, you know, you hear all the stories being swapped and, you know, it was just, it was just pretty fabulous. What a crazy time. You know, I was thinking about your song. I was sitting here looking at the title of the thing about America. I just think, I mean, the timing of how you're born in the world and not, you know, how you often think, man, you could have been born somewhere terrible where life was awful, but to be born at, you know, in your situation yeah. there and end up the geographical location. And what a yeah. cool, what a cool, cool thing to be grateful for. Yeah. yeah. And so some of that, so much of that, as you say, and Billy's blind luck. I mean, you don't get to choose who you're born to or where you're born or right. anything right. like that. Yep. You know, that's true. But yeah, that's such a cool time. But, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it was great. So how long, uh, what was your expansive time with, with John? What, what, when to when? Full time. It was, it was about five years, kind okay. of 79 to 84. And then by now I was married. We were expecting our first kid and I, I needed, I couldn't support a family. And I ended up, you know, taking some day jobs that in and of themselves over time became really rewarding, fascinating things. But it meant I had to leave LA and leave John. Uh, But I still, for the next, well, at least next 10 years, was on every record he did. Wow, uh, really? In, you know, at least wow. as a vocalist. And um, yeah. and when he'd come through, it was it was either wa- either Boston or Washington, which were the two places I was migrating between. I'd do the gig with him. You know, um, we just pick up where we left off, and uh, you know, he was my youngest child's godfather, and I mean, we were best friends until he died. Wow! Um, wow! Wow. So, yeah. I remember uh, I met him. I think I told you about this, Chuck. I met him when he was opening up. It's in Miami, Bayfront Park, opening up for Neil Young and the Harvest, whatever that Oh, Harvest Moon. Yes. Were you there for that? Were you? No. No, I was not. Well, I remember going up to uh, Jon Stewart. I was a huge fan. And, And I went up to him and I said, you know, Mr. Stewart, I'm just... I'm just a huge fan of yours, but I bet you hear that all the time. And his reply was, no, I I don't actually. So (laughs) I I knew at that point he was unappreciated. And I I still think that he's unappreciated and and more people should know his music. Wonderful, wonderful albums that he... Yeah. Well, Chuck, I was going to ask you, the circling around back to your... I know what it's like. I had two daughters when we were young, and so... As far as my own personal, you know, plan, I I had to circle back to some degree. And, and and how long was it now, in your case, when you circled back to, you know, getting more into, like, your albums you're doing now? A long time. Um, I, it was, like, literally 34 years. Unbelievable. That's a lifetime. I think that's, yeah. that's about me, too. I'm, really? <laughs> I mean, as far as me personally, my plan, you know, just getting out and playing and stuff. But, yeah. Well, you guys uh, really know a thing or two about momentum. Well, it's just, uh, the, the cool thing is you can't, you know, it's like a fire you can't put out. You know, 
you know, you just yeah. you get yeah. all, all your way looking for waiting for looking for is time. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I, I bet I bet this is true for you, Billy. But in my case, no matter what was going on or what town I was living in at the time or whatever, how busy I was, or, you know, I always was able to throw together like a little four piece band. Right. Yeah. It yeah. Maybe play once every two or three months. But that was enough. Yeah, you know, you can't for that all the way down. That's no, that's for true. <laughs> right, and I kept on writing songs. I mean, it wasn't you know several a month. It was more like maybe several a year. <laughs> right. You know, but just it, it was never out of my mind. In my head, I was still a musician. I, I just was doing some of these other that's things. Cool. I think there's probably more people like us than than we know yeah. really. Uh, yeah. Well, life gets I, in I the way. Life gets in the way sometimes. Yeah. But yeah. But if, I guess in 2017, though, Chuck, everything sort of culminated with the release of that album. Um, yes. Obviously, a long time in coming. But I guess at that point, you kind of knew that the path was clear, and this is what you're going to do going forward. Is that not right. correct? Yeah. It is. I I, I was kind of done with with the day job phase and my kids were grown and and uh i got my i got my time back you know i kind of got my life back yeah the honorable and, well, um, one more thing i was gonna say the honorable thing to do is what you did and what you know because i have seen on the bad side people that neglect you know, their family yeah just and, uh yeah go the other way but i'm sorry i didn't go ahead yeah well so so yeah so i kind of could take a deep breath and take stock and and I, I was begin living back here in, in Boston by now, and there's a very rich roots music scene here. There's some really good songwriters. We have Berkeley College of Music, is known for its jazz, you know, programs, but mm-hmm, yeah. they have this very vibrant roots music program. I mean, Molly Tuttle, uh, all kinds of people have come through the Berkeley Roots Music program. So you got these young hotshots who are really great. And then you got these guys, you know, maybe 50, 60. I don't, I'm 70 now. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, who've been doing it all the way since. And they all have had the road experience, you know, with Mary Chapin Carpenter or Roseanne or, you know. Uh, the, and we need to talk about this drummer I work with now before we're done real quickly. But yeah, but very there was this, this record. Yeah, there's this just this supply of great players. And um, you, you know, you can you can you can get them for club gigs if they're free. And you can certainly get them, you know, for a studio date. And uh, so it it the the gin and rosewater record came together just kind of magically i thought um there i was w- working with a true producer for the first time a guy named lauren entrus he had produced uh, laurie mckenna and uh, a fellow from up here named mark Arelli who's got a strong thing going oh, he's great, great writer yeah. Arelli, yeah yeah and uh and kind of an americana producer and uh his thing was, you know, we're going to pick the right musicians and all we're going to give them is voice guitar demos, you know, because I had demos that done at home with harmony parts and, you know, 
multiple guitars or bass and all this stuff. But uh said, no, 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 strip down. They got to hear it. They get superimposed their own. And, you know, they got to hear it their own way. And so we go in the studio and, and uh, by like the second run through, these guys non-verbally <laughs> amongst themselves are cooking up these arrangements that are just like mm. freaky. And, and, you know, and I, I, I know kind of the Nashville a team, you know, thing, three songs in three hours and, you know, the head arrangements and stuff, which, which, you know, worked and made a lot of great records, but this, this, it was just amazing for me uh, having had these songs in my head for a long time to see them come to life like that. So then yeah. we got, you know, we got her done. We put it out. There's, there was, you know, the wheat straw continues to be a gift that keeps on giving <laughs> in yeah. that, uh, you know, they're not all dead yet. All the, you know, the people <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, and, uh, so, you know, I could get back, you know, in the, in the nice listening room clubs and stuff like that. And, uh, several of the guys on that record became my, my, you know, performing band as well. And, uh, so that's what we've been doing leading up to going back into the studio in, in January of 2020. And then, you know, that's where we started this. That then was the lockdown. Well, you but, mentioned uh, your drummer. You you have some excellent people on this uh, new EP. Who are some of the players that uh, that you have helping out here? Yeah. So so the the drummer on uh, on every cut on gin and rosewater and every cut on this, and he also produced thirty eight degrees and raining is a man named Marco Giovino. Yes. <clears throat> and. Uh, Marco, he's, he's from Massachusetts and moved back here when he and his wife had a couple young girls. But he was in Nashville, you know, for a dozen years and became Buddy Miller's yep. kind of right hand yep. drummer. And so he did the whole Band of Joy thing with Robert Plant with Buddy and uh, and a ton of Nashville session work. Amy Lou, Rodney Crowell, uh, uh, Dolly Parton, Nora Jones. Um, all that stuff, and uh, and prior to that, he was music director for none other than Tom Jones for six years. Tom Jones, oh, I just yeah. I just interviewed Tom Jones. Yeah, who's a, a great monster? Guy. I think he, he, talk about Green Green Grass at home. I think yeah, that's the one I got uh, on my a, yeah. playlist. Very poignant, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. poignant song. Tom what Jones. a set of pipes, right? <laughs> uh, uh, wonderful, and still is. I mean, his new album is terrific. Yeah. His last yeah. several albums produced with Ethan Johns, Glenn Johns' yeah. son. Great right. records, yeah. Right. But um, so Marco is very, he, I mean, he's a graduate of Berkeley College of Music too, but um, his real roots are down near you guys. <clears throat> it's it's Memphis, Muscle Shoals, New Orleans, and very much like another drummer named Jay Belarus, if you know that name. Yeah. Who, who T-Bone Burnett uses almost all the time. Yeah, this stuff. guy's on a million albums that right. Jay Belarus, yeah. And, and both Jay Belarus and Marco approach the drum kit, not like a trap set, you know, hi-hat snare and, you know, the the kick thing and plenty of cymbals he barely touches his cymbals it's it's tom toms he's throwing 
sheepskins over the snare drum. <laughs> <laughs> he, he makes his own maracas with baby teeth and <laughs> with baby teeth <laughs> inside wow. them. Yeah, it sounds yeah, a little you know. ominous. A little no, ominous. It's a, great, it's a great tone. <laughs> There, on one of the songs, on one of the songs on 38 Degrees, geez, Billy, he found the button. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm playing with these, Chuck. You're he found, he found the damn buttons. Yeah, only sorry. showed him four buttons, and now I'm going to have to get control. More buttons. Yeah, it's going to slap my hand. But, anyway, uh, sorry. sorry. But uh, on, the, on the new EP, 38 Degrees and Rating, there's a song called On a Night Like This. And there's this percussive thing. It's not a cowbell. It's not a... You don't know what it is. It's a metal hospital bedpan. <laughs> I'm tempted to play the sound effect again with that. Okay, I won't. <laughs> that, I, won't. That, uh, I won't hold back. That happens to be a bedpan, more or less in the key of G, which is the key that song is in. <laughs> now, how, how would you happen to have one in the studio? Does he bring his own bedpan? Well, we actually recorded in his his home studio. I would be a little <laughs> nervous. Do you need that? Um, we, we can hold oh, no, off on no. that. We can overdub the bed no. later if you need it now. No, uh, no, 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 no. Okay. It's Bruce Toppin, a rose wood bag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but so he really, collaborating with Marco, it, it's it's akin to, to having met John Stewart and worked with John, but in a different way. It's more about groove mm -hmm. and texture and stuff like that and um and that's one of the things i mean I, I think we got there on gin and rosewater but i think really on 38 degrees and raining pretty much every song has a very distinct personality and vibe to it and uh uh it kind of takes you so, to some other geography or something like that huh. and a huge amount of the credit for that goes to Marco and selecting when selecting the musicians, several of which who were on the prior record, um, but uh, some additional ones. So we had, we had Luther Dickinson on it. Oh yeah. Uh, from the North Big Mississippi all-stars. Big time. It, it was just one of the greats of all time. Um, you know, we had a song we, we, I, I took the lyrics of an old gospel song called we will walk through the streets of the city and rewrote them to be, take a different theme and um and we had done the basics on that and stuff and i said to marco then would it be cool to have the mccrary sisters sing on this or what and he goes you want me to call regina oh yeah wow <laughs> wow so he called That's... regina and they said sure cool. and this is during lockdown so they did go into a small studio there in nashville and uh and record it, and I'm participating on FaceTime on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw the video. I looked. At, I was on your, I think it's on your website or something. I saw a little video. Yeah, Somewhere. yeah. That's Is there a clip? Yeah, my yeah. wife made those videos first. Track, <laughs> crack at me from videos, but but uh, um, but uh, yeah. So we were we're lucky to get them on there. On the prior one, I'm I mean, probably thirty some odd years ago. I became friends with Stephen Stills through politics. Wow. He's a radical Democrat. And, um, uh, but we started playing music. You know, he, I, I've, he's sat in at, at gigs I've done and wow. I've done gigs where he's sat in and, um, 
Man. So I, I asked him if he'd play a song. <laughs> he'd play on, on one of the tunes on Gin and Rosewater, a song called People Are Weak, which he did, which was great. And um, uh, so, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm blessed by the generosity of those folks. Oh, man. But, um, He's talking about the uh, uh, Marco, and I was thinking about, I don't know if it's just me, but I can just be, if I can have my guitar just goofing around, uh, you know, down in my little band cave, and uh, if I just turn on this little crummy uh, tempo thing I got, it does something to my brain, and it just makes me play different, or it makes me yeah. start hear different. Yeah. Uh, it explains a lot, Billy. It does something different. <laughs> that really explains a lot. The mystery has been resolved, folks. We know. So this is my personal theory, is that I think something about it maybe taps into my Neanderthal, or not just me, but everybody's, our DNA. If you hear some kind of rhythm, you know, and like, yes. uh, you know, he sounds Marco is unique, so that's going to bring out something different, I would imagine. Yeah. I uh, yeah, I personally really tap does. on a lot of bedpans, and I guess that's. <laughs> but it just makes me want to pee. Oh, can we say that? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we can say that was inappropriate. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not even not even going to touch that. Yeah, either. don't don't. <laughs> I didn't even hit a button. I was too embarrassed. <laughs> I do want to say though that I uh, I went I was listening to some girl. I personally don't do the Apple streaming some of the streaming services just because I protest that. They get you know yeah. get ripped off, so I just buy everything that I can buy. Don't do that. So, but anyway, I was so I was listening on Apple Music to some of your your album. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot the name. It was in 2017 or so. It looked yeah, like Gin it was, and Rosewater. Yeah, yeah Gin and Rosewater. Yeah. Anyway, I was, uh, and you know, I I didn't really know uh, you know how it is like so much music. You can't. It's such a refreshing to find somebody new, and it's always challenging. You know, I remember back in the old days, I'd go and just. When CDs came out, some stores would have little headphones. I'd go in there for a couple of hours and try to find yeah. something new. So anyway, it's nice yeah. when somebody like Lee can say, "Hey, check this guy out." So anyway, yeah, I was great. listening, and man, the uh, with the combination of your, uh, well, I guess I just grab soothing vocals and your, and the cool guitar work, which uh, you know, and the, and of course the lyrics. Well, that, that just kind of checked all the boxes for me, so I kind of became a fan. So. Wow. I am starting wow. to sound like you, Leah. That's wow. kind of wordsmith stuff well, like you would. Yeah, but I, I'm, <laughs> like I'm kind of touched, Billy, at your adoration, <laughs> admiration. Um, Chuck, I, I guarantee right now he is wiping tears from his eyes. Yes. A little <laughs> emotional. A little Chuck choked up. Chuck is Chuck. Oh, yeah. uh, choke is – never mind. Yeah. No, it, it is hard to find. I mean, and, you know, if you find someone you respect and you say, hey, check this artist out, you know, like Lee's, Lee, of course, is good at that, so – yeah. Anyway, I'm just saying, I, I'm your fan. I'm your new, well, thank new, you. New fan. I really, no, I, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, supply outstrips demand. Yeah. <laughs> to <my music. laughs> you are very pithy, Chuck McDermott. You come up with these great expressions there. Yeah, you know, Apple, Apple Music's getting us all. Sometimes they sell out. You know, you got to be sure to get by those. Really? Right. Right. I'm just kidding. Yeah. So so, what's what's next, Chuck? You were saying earlier, I guess, when we were off the air, that you have some gigs coming up, and you hope to be plan to be at the Americana Fest and at Folk Alliance. So, yep, um, that's yeah. great. We'll be able to Th- see that's you there. That's great. We're uh, again just before the pandemic hit. Um, a, a wonderful guy up here in Boston, an important part of the arts community, named Joe Spalding, who is the CEO of these two 
iconic theaters here, the the Wang Theater and the Schubert. Um, it's created, it initiated this effort to create a Folk Americana Roots Music Hall of Fame here in Boston. And um, we're, and he, he enlisted me in that effort with him and, and others. And uh, we're really kind of getting up ahead of steam before the, the pandemic hit and stuff, but that's starting to gear back up. And so within this beautiful, you know, 125 year old fully restored theater in, in Boston um, will be ex- exhibits on the type of people you'd imagine who would be in a, in a, in a hall of fame like that. And we had just started a, the, what was to be a continuing concert series um, of people like this. And we had a show with Rodney Crowell, Randy Clark, um, the North Mississippi All-Stars. And we, Marco and I put together a house band that were some of the same guys playing on the record, but like through Marco's Rolodex, a guy named Charlie Giordino on uh, 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 organ and keyboards and accordion. And he's the most recent member of Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band. Wow. Cool. Um, yeah. And a, a guy named Russ Paul, who's a session guy who works with uh, Dan Auerbach and all this other kind of stuff. So really great house band and um had this fabulous show and then we had we were working on buddy miller and roseanne cash and other people for follow-ups but so we'll be gearing that back up so that'll be fun because i get to i get to MC these shows wow. and and uh be in the be in the house band and so you know i got to sing leaving louisiana in the broad daylight with rodney Crowell. oh so, man what a great so, song that's hello. excellent and uh but uh yeah and so then again uh, you know i have like four or five songs already and you know halfway completed that we could go back to i uh, marco and i are talking about me doing a country album um i've got oh <laughs> i've got a whole bunch of these ballad type songs um uh the the uh, perhaps overly sensitive singer-songwriter <laughs> side <laughs> that normally you try to just sprinkle in, you know, so yeah. you can get away with it. But uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm contemplating just doing a, you know, like a, a again an EP or something of just six or seven of those. I can send you some. Uh, I can send you some lyrics that are plucked from my life and very sad and heartbroken oh. and oh. depressing, God. and will drive people to jump off a building if they. But I'm, well, I'm making the offer. I'm making the for. offer. I, I, I think that's what I think that's what the fans want. Yeah. Well, he's yeah. A, you know hardcore country. I'm sure yeah. Billy too, because Billy is a singer and songwriter, and he he has yeah. his tears and his beers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Send me I your have, saddest songs, Billy. I had some earlier. <laughs> saddest we, I think I had one. Ago. We had, I was crying about something. You said, <laughs> what? You had me crying about something. Maybe it was oh, laughing. Oh, yeah, no. Laughing. He's, oh, yeah. he's really choking up here. I don't know what it was that I said. I think it's but, the forest fires. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do from yeah maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. So yeah. before we go, let's, let's where yes. where can people find you, Chuck? Where can people okay. get the new album? Thank you. And, yeah. Yeah. 
No, thank thank you for that. So I have a website, which is my name. It's chuckmcdermott.com. And from there, um, you know, even if we're Billy Hubbard or anybody, you can purchase a physical copy of either of my recent records through there. There's a and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of info on there. My my wife Anne, who's a, a just an incredible human, but she's prodded me to sort of blog a bit about you know about the songs and the process and stuff like that. So That's if people idea. really can't sleep, uh, there's you know some <laughs> of that on there. Yeah. And uh, you might want to spell. You know, Put your last name as he just because I left yes. the tea off and I had uh, earlier, but uh, it was my fault. <laughs> no, he, yeah, yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But it's Is Chuck Mc, uh, D E R M O T T, right? Correct. Okay. Right. Dot com. Exactly. So, yeah. um, so there's that, and that will have information on, you know, any any gig dates and tour dates and stuff like that, and from that too. If, if if when you land on on the website a thing will pop up saying you know sign up for the newsletter and uh right. so about once a month we send something out talking about what's been going on you know musically and whatnot and we you know we tell little personal stories and then we try to at the end plug something else you know some other people's maybe music like this or, podcast maybe this podcast you're gonna have, you're gonna have to plug this anyway is <laughs> get you the info and you know yes yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. we will do that and I'll, I'll share your link I, on our side too when we publish this oh also. good yeah thank you do that. excellent but yeah we just in the most recent one oh you might have seen this leak because you do get it, but yeah. I plugged a podcast called Cocaine and Rhinestones. Yeah. Are you guys aware of that? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember, yeah, yeah. You got to check that out. It's David Allen Coe's son. Really? 36-year-old. <laughs> oh, my God. Brilliant young guy. But it's oh, the okay. history of country music. It's really, Billy, you'd That's love cool. it. That's cool. It's not competition yeah, it, with my book, is it, Chuck? Because, no, you know, I, no. I have he my, doesn't ever what is use that the word book of mine? Maybe it's like Tales he from never, the Tour Bus. Now, if you yeah. don't sell that, you gotta see that, Lee. I don't know. If, and Chuck, right. have you? Right. <laughs> it's but, a series. Uh, Billy, oh, that was your that, opening that to film? plug my book, no, it, and, and it's falling apart here. We're, oh, it's a series called Tales from the Tour Bus. I'd not I not plug that, oh, plug my book oh, here. I, I can't hear you, Lee. Something's going on with the audio, but yeah, Tales from the Tour Bus. I'm just saying, I don't have any interest in it, but that's the funniest stuff I've ever saw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll check that out. But, <laughs> I'll find anyway, on YouTube. I think you good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but so that, that that's how you can, that's the best way to find out what I'm up to. Thank yeah, you, Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you guys. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Sorry yeah. to blabber sure. on and on. We enjoyed uh, it. Yeah. Come down to Tennessee. We'll do it again or yeah, something. You know? come, well, he's yeah. He's going to be in Nashville. I'm trying to get him to come over to East Tennessee, but hopefully we'll see him. Yeah. This is a good, this is the right side, not the wrong side. This yeah. is the <laughs> East Tennessee. Yeah. Side of the <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Well, guys, I, I know Lee's got a, something coming up here at six, and so yeah. we're gonna blame it yeah. on Lee. So we're gonna have to go ahead and no, phase I out here. But anyway, well, uh, let me know when, when you think you'll be airing it, and yeah, we'll, we'll pump it on our social media and stuff like that, of course. And yeah, right. yeah, man, for it's, sure. Yeah. It's a it's really a pleasure. Yeah, and hang Thanks on to it. Don't hang up yet. We're Don't gonna sign out here, and uh, anyway, so let me get the anyway. Okay. That's big thanks to you, Chuck. 
I say you, Chuck. That sounds funny. Chuck <laughs> DeMont. <laughs> and, of course, my host here, Lee Zimmerman. And, by the way, here you go, Lee. Check out Lee's book, Americana Music Voices, Visionaries, Pioneers of Knowledge Sound. <laughs> Thank you. Now available on Amazon. So waiting all broadcast. Please like, share, and subscribe to this podcast, and we'll see y'all next time. Happy trails. <laughs> Thanks, Billy. <laughs> <laughs>